we are starting a new book of the Bible, and it's, uh, I'm really excited. We're just coming out of the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount was incredible. Actual words from the lips of Jesus telling us about the high law that crushes us in the amazing gospel that gives us forgiveness in life. I'm eager to go explore this book called Romans, which we're going to do after Ecclesiastes, I think, and look at theology and the wonder and the Paul writing to the church. Oh, the question becomes, why go back? What are we doing going to the Old Testament? Uh, uh, wisdom literature. And spend time in Ecclesiastes, which is the book we're going to. And for some of you, you may not even know where that is in the Old Testament. It's, it's uh, right in the middle of the wisdom literature. It's after Psalms and Proverbs. And you keep on going and you'll hit this book. This is why. Because we need this message from God. It was Socrates who said that the, the unexamined life is not worth living. Well, it's time to examine our lives. I can think of really no better time to do it. world's going crazy out there. People are thinking such strange things, and sometimes we're not sure. It's helpful for us to, to really look at this experience we call life. I know for me, sometimes I think, this is how I think, that even the Bible is, you know, I'm running my race of life. It's like a marathon. Oh, it keeps on going. It's so long. And, and what I do is I stop in on Sunday morning at the aid station, and I grab some, some uh, sustaining Gatorade or something. And I get that, and I keep on running my life while I drink my Gatorade. Well, Ecclesiastes and what we're doing here is not Gatorade. It's a rock in your shoe. You're running, and all of a sudden, you've got this huge rock in your shoe. And you go, ooh, ah, ooh. should I run this race? What is this race I'm running, and is it worth it to run to the... What's going on? It's, it's, a, it's a step back to say, wait a minute, what are the things that make my life life? And why am I doing them? That's what we're after. Because too often, what we kind of think Christianity is, is energy to do the life that we want. Or the Bible's like that. We are thick-skinned, nearsighted dummies. Well, that's me. <laughs> so, so worship, for me, I, I honestly, sometimes I worship health and fitness. And then when I get too old for that, I start worshiping security and money. I, I start having these desires that I have, and then we need a dose of truth for ourselves and our life here, and I say it because, because it's true. You say, well, but Dax, we're in Christianity. We know what life is about. I, I live for Jesus. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What is God's glory, though? What does it mean to live it out? What does it mean for your life here on earth observationally? There's an American poet. His name was Carl Sandburg. He compared life to the onion. You know, life's like an onion. You peel it one layer at a time, and sometimes you weep. Is that life? We need this. So Ecclesiastes brings truth reality to life under the sun and very important as we as we're going to look at this amazing book together it is not life without god 
A lot of times when people look at this book of the Old Testament, like, well, life and God changes it all. No, this is going to be life from the perspective of somebody who understands and has been gifted by God. He's not a pagan person. This is just life under the sun. It's life here. What is life? What is it that we're doing and he's going to say it without dancing around, without ignoring. He's going to give us truth, observationally, and we're going to get it from a very wise man. So, so turn with me to Ecclesiastes. If you, if you need help finding it after Psalms and Proverbs, and we're going to just look today, 12 chapters long. Here's the thing. The beginning and the ending form a frame, like of a picture. And the middle is the picture of the person talking in the first person. But today we're looking at the frame, the outside, to help, help us understand kind of what's going on all the way through. Introduction. Ecclesiastes. It's about the wisdom of this world, the world we live in, because the world didn't change when you became a Christian. It's super important. Sometimes I think, oh, well, you know, I was, I was this and was living for nothing and I was living for junk, and then I became a Christian and now I've changed. Yeah, but the world didn't change. In fact, you have some of the same desires that you had before. Everybody who's under the sun. So we're going to hear truth, and here's the thing to understand. You may not agree. You may not even want it. The truth that's given to you, it's, he's not, at least this morning, we're just stating it. This is what the truth is. You can decide whether you're going to do it or not, but the truth is the truth. It's what is. And then after the truth comes something called wisdom. Wisdom is how you handle the truth, what you do with it, right? So we're going to look at truth first, and we're going to talk a little bit about wisdom, with what to do with this truth that we're given this morning, just flat out given from being under the sun in Ecclesiastes. Okay, so here we go. We'll have a few weeks to consider this truth, and then as it comes to wisdom, and it'll be grand. But for today... Chapter 1, we're just doing the first 11 verses. It's the introduction. It's not actually the preacher speaking. It is a description, a summary of the truth. Let's look. Truth. So here it is, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Okay, we're going to hear the perspective of somebody as we go through Ecclesiastes. It is the preacher. It probably is better. In fact, that's where the, the name for Ecclesiastes is the word for church that we would have in Greek transliterated, right? It's the gathering, and it's the, the, the person who is gathered one, the one who gathers, the one who collects, perhaps a collection of sentences or sayings, the proverb collector. But, I mean, one who has studied deeply is willing to pass it on. Koholeth is his title. That's what Ecclesiastes is transliterating into, into Greek. The, the text we have points to, actually, this was written after the Israelites came back from exile. But it's definitely the perspective, perhaps even the collection, of Solomon. Solomon, right? You know his story. Solomon, who famously prayed to God, what do you want, Solomon? And Solomon says, I want to be wise. And God said, okay, I will give you more wisdom than anyone's ever had. That's the perspective that is being written in this book. His vantage point, his truth preserved by God, inspired by God. 
right? He's son of David, privileged, king in Jerusalem, massive wealth, massive number of wives, and very, very importantly and famously given wisdom by God himself. Here it is, his truth summarized. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does it mean? What does man gain by all the toil with which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. This is, this is the summary. Vanity of vanities. In fact, you know this. If you've been around Christianity at all, if you've been around Bible, the, the Bible at all, or Sunday school at all, you know, oh, vanity of vanities, that's a statement from Ecclesiastes. People know what it means. But vanity, what is that? It's not a closet. It's not a wardrobe. It's not vanity like, you know, you're so vain, you probably think this song is about you. It's not that. It's not about your looks. The better word would be meaningless. Or, put it modernly, absurd. Absurd, says the preacher. Absolutely meaningless. Everything is absurd. Well, that's interesting. The, the Hebrew word there, it's a word that's mostly only used here in Ecclesiastes. It's hebel. Right? It's, it's, uh, uh, it's really only used in one other chapter of the Bible. That's Genesis chapter 4. Because it's with a little bit different vowel pointing, the name of Abel. Abel. Remember Abel? upstanding man he gave a good sacrifice and what happened to him he was murdered that's wrong right the word means breath or vapor so something like smoke so it's like you have you have a pillar of smoke and say hey let's go give let's go capture that in our arms and you grab a handful of the smoke and it just goes through your arms and you can't grab it it's ungrabbable okay this is absurd so, so a, a pointed question follows because you just say, well, everything's absurd. Yeah, okay, whatever. Let's, let's get back to real life. You go have your philosophical statement over there. So he follows it up with a question for, for you to think about. He says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Everything you do, what do you get from it? When it's all paid, what's left? What's the profit? You know what his answer is? Nothing. A generation goes, he says, a generation comes, and nothing changes. We all go away. We toil, we labor, we expend energy, and lots of things under the sun on this world for us to build and us to work and us to leave a legacy and us to improve ourselves and other people. What's the payoff? Nothing. Guy's kind of downer, man. Absurd. Meaningless. That's it. This is, though, truth, observationally, from the wisest man who ever lived, who got his wisdom from God. That's the idea, right? You're absurd. You can't grasp it. There's no gain for all the effort under the sun. You're running a race to where? What's the point of your running? 
You say, well, you know, Dax, that's fine. But I disagree with that. Right? There is meaning. I improve life for other people. I advance humanity. I advance my kids. I, I, I live for the greater good. And this man says, no. No, you don't. Okay, now I'm not sure I like you. Really? Well, okay, let me give you some examples. This giver of truth doesn't stop there. It's this little, it's actually a, almost literarily a poem as he goes through to give examples of why this is true, why what he's saying is true. It's not saying anything about how you should respond to it. It's just, is it true? So he gives sort of these three examples. Here, here's one. The sun rises and the sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows from the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea's not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. So, what's your impact on the cycles of nature? That's sort of his first example. The sun rises, it goes down, it it runs over and does it again. There's no change. Your whole life it does this. It hasn't changed. All the stuff you've ever done hasn't changed that the sun just cycles. The wind blows around and around. There's no change. Your whole life the wind has been blowing. Say, yeah, but I put up a big windmill. can change that wind. Yeah, give it enough time and the windmill will be gone and the wind will still blow. Right? The streams that come down and evaporation happens. And, and we know the cycles. I can tell you scientifically, I studied that stuff. Right? Well, I love science. But, but the science just describes what happens. And he's talking about the reality. Nothing changes for all the stuff you do. This is the truth, he says. It's kind of become a cultural phenomenon for us to reject this, to think that we can make a difference. Right? We can change the course of the wind and the streams and the sun. And we scream at the sky and we build like, you know, dams and windmills where we're banding together with other nations to change the effect of the atmosphere and the missions, right? It's okay. Well, you, you can try it. But this man's truth says, no, it's not going to work. The wind will still go. The sun will still go. You have no effect on it. Banning gas stoves and avoiding fossil fuels may make you feel better, but it won't accomplish meaningful change in the world. You know, like, yeah, I'm going to give, this is what I'm giving my life to, I'm going to save 10 feet of Amazonian forest. Now I'm going to do that as a gift of my life. And then the next year a drought comes and 100 acres of the forest right where you were just dies. You actually have no control. That's his truth. And he's talking to you and me personally. He, you make no difference. Everything man has ever made. Okay, now I'm starting to get deeply offended. Because I, I try very hard to make a difference. I try very hard to, to do things that are right. I live myself in such a way that my footprint is small and, and I don't use more than I ought. And I, and I don't like people who do. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And I planted a tree. Well, 
trees can plant themselves, you know. And you actually have no real input over whether the trees will grow or die. Somebody else is in charge of that, not you. I mean, we get a little bit of this in our current society because, because really at the end of the day, if you look at sort of the environmental movement, the very best thing to happen would be for you not to exist. Then you would really have no impact. And that would be good. This idea is you have an impact and it's a negative one. So the, the, even that though is this different than the truth that this man comes and says to us and it's in the Bible is you have no impact, positive or negative. You're meaningless. It's absurd. It's smoke. Okay, that's just the first one. There, there's a second. So, so all things, he says in verse 8, are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. We're never satisfied. And we toil and toil. All things are full of labor, he says. He's talking about our pursuits, life's labor. What, what do you labor in? The labor never ends. I know this, you know, I, I sweep my patio and then the wind comes and the next day I've got to sweep it again. Well but, well, but it was really nice there for 15 minutes. Yeah, we're talking about being done. A famous movie, I don't know if you've seen it, it's a guy's in prison and the warden's kind of a mean guy, and he, he, he has the guy, you've got to move these rocks from this side of the prison to that side of the prison. And then the guy does it. He works at it hard. He does, gets all the rocks over there. He's okay, this is what you're doing next. You're going to move the rocks from this side of the prison back over. That's life. It's absurd. Right? Or like me, I love a good vacuum. I don't know about you, man. I really do. I, I don't know. I've never, you know... For me, the one we have now, it's not a Dyson. It's one of the other ones, but I really like it. You can just vacuum up. I got, we got cats, so boy, vacuuming the living room is so satisfying. Because like you vacuum the rug that's in there, and you come up, and you've got like this clear canister, so they show you all the stuff you got off, and you feel like, yes, I did it. Look, look at the dirt that was on my floor. And I got this dirt, and you go, and you click a little button so it falls into the trash can, and then you click it back, and you I did it. Try vacuuming the next day you get the same amount of gunk. Oh no! Why did I do it the first day? Well, for that five minutes of just feeling like it was sparkling clean. Entropy happens, right? That's this. Everything's weariness, he says. We fight entropy to make things like I want them, and I'm really never totally satisfied, and we just, we don't just want to hear and see. I want to hear and see more. You don't think this is true? If you spend hours a week exercising, I do, you wouldn't know it. Are you ever satisfied? And then what if you stop? Oh, man. I don't like it. If you're reading a book, you know while you're reading a book, 10,000 more books have been written? Finish your book. You want to read the sequel? You watch a movie. You know, where is the sequel? <laughs> If I'm working for money, do I ever really have enough? You ever stop worrying about your kids? Sorry, kids. It's not your fault. Life just doesn't quite satisfy. 
We work and we work and we work and things are not what they should be with our labor. I know that I should be satisfied, but I worry and I stress and I want what I don't have and I'm not satisfied with how things are. I want to change them for the better. Okay, here's the thing. It's easy to see that the world out there is like that. Right? People are busy, 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 searching for meaning and something, something that will make life worth living and all these dead ends and hungering for what they don't quite have and they want friends or wealth or status or family or something. As a Christian, as a Christian, I'm in the world, yeah, but, but, but it's not that way in the church, right? I'm, I'm working for him. I'm fully satisfied. Come on. You are? No, we're not. We're still sinners. We just incorporate the language of Jesus into the same pursuits. I think Jesus will give me the life I want, the family I want, if I follow the rules to get the change that I want, the health that I want. I start thinking Jesus is my avenue to actually get a better life. Right? If I, I continue to look for what? For what I don't have. I'm dissatisfied with the music or the community or, or, or with my growth. And I, I, don't, I don't serve a homeless meal at a shelter one time and then never go back. What about next week? What about doing more if it's something you think is important? This is the truth he's given. It's never done. It's full of weariness and we're never satisfied. It's absurd. It's never ending. And then we die. Right? That's the third thing is we have no impact. We are never satisfied. And we're not original. Right? He says this, what has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it said, see, this is new. And it's been already in the ages before us. Oh, you say he's wrong. Why is he wrong? The iPhone. That's not what he means, right? He doesn't mean some new technological gadget. He's talking, for example, airplane. Look at airplane. They didn't have airplanes a thousand years ago. Something new. No, no, no. The desire to get from one place to another place faster is not new. People walked and then they found out, oh, horses. They go so much faster. Oh, a chariot. See, we do incremental change. Oh, for sure. It's fast. But, but the idea there, another form of quicker travel. People in the past are not stupid. Right? Not, not less developed than we are. No, the desires to gather wealth and attain security and protect your family have meaning and have always had meaning. Lived out in millions of people before you were alive. It's absurd to say that now is special. What's the proof of that? Well, think of the now of 300 years ago. Right, right in this place. Who lived here? I don't know. What did they desire? I don't know any of them. What are you you talking about, Dex? There's no Bellingham here that 300 years ago. Whatever tribal person was here, okay. Yeah, that's the thing. You have no idea. Why do you think 300 years from now, anyone's going to even know about you? 
That, that's what he says. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. There's no legacy. No matter what you accomplish, no one will remember you in 100 years. I, I, I just, the example I usually use with this is, you know, I went, to, I went to this Ivy League school and there was this building there that someone said, try to leave a legacy, they'd give him money, so they built a dorm room and we stayed in the dorm room. It's called Butler Hall. And now, 15 years, sorry, 35 years, <laughs> after I left the university, what did they do? It's gone. They ripped it down to build something else. The guy was even trying to keep his legacy. That's, I mean, keep my legacy. And, and, and even the room I was, I mean, I, I remember those dorms. I, I think about it. I, it looked a little bit like a prison camp. I was like, wow, this is college. Or, but, 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 but there I was, and now it's gone. I mean, the guy's long dead. By the way, I, who is, I don't know who, I, I, maybe I could Google him. That would give me tons of information about him and his family and his desires, huh? I would know somebody if I Google them and know their name. No, I don't. But it gets even worse. Think about you. Okay, think about your mom and dad, if you, if, you, if you know them. And now go another journey. Think about your grandparents. Got it? Think about their parents. And go one more, their parents. What was their favorite flavor of food? What was their major hope and desire? What do they love? You know what? You're lucky if you even know their name. You have no idea. Why? Because there's no remembrance of what's gone before. We may have a long lineage. You may be the king of England, and you've got your lineage. And you still don't know the person who is. You don't know what they lived for, what they hoped for, what their dreams were, why they did what they did. You, you don't know. We try and get around this with books, with writing down things. We still don't know. We don't even care. Right? You will be forgotten. Everything you're living for and pursuing, every monument we build as a society, right, will fall apart, will melt away. It's such a tragedy, wasn't it, that our, our, our collective cultural memory going away when people decide just to tear down monuments. But guess what? They're only sort of 50, 100 years ahead of time. They're going to go away anyway. People forget what they're there for. They start to represent something else. They get torn down and say, no, forget it. We don't want that around us. Well, they, they don't. Nobody remembers the, the, the complexity of the people that came before us. What a big project. The Great Wall of China. Who built the Great Wall of China? Who picked a little section? Who was the laborer that built that? It's going to last a thousand years. Do you even know his name? No. I don't. Nobody remembers. You labor and make money, and when you die, it goes to someone else. And, and, and at the end, at the base, at the core, even your own body. I was talking about this with someone today. Do, do you know, do you know that, uh, take, in your own mind, I'll, I'll give a little pause. Take a guess. How many cells in your body die every second? I'm slopping, so that's probably five seconds. So five seconds. How many cells in your body have died? Five million. Fifty billion cells a day die in your body. Guess what? You don't care. You don't know their names. You don't know their function. 
It doesn't matter. It's going on right now. You're dying. Things are dying inside you. You have no idea. You have no idea what's happening anywhere. We're living in this construct where we think we have meaning and and value and purpose, and, and they're made up. They're made up. That's what he's saying. If you think I'm going to count, you're a fool. The uh, commentator, one of them I like, said this. At the end of the day, life is frustratingly absurd. The cycles of nature are screaming that message to you. You live, you exert a lot of energy, but nothing new happens. Just like the sun, the wind, the rivers, and then you die. Oh, Oh, and one other thing. After you die, you will be quickly forgotten. Okay, happy Mother's Day. (laughs) 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 Well, not if I live uprightly for God. That's my objection. We need to look at that. Does God make people remembered because they live uprightly? Because they're good, a special saints or something. You know, Ecclesiastes has something to say about that. We'll look at it. This is the truth, though, that he's giving you. It's not, uh, he's just giving it to you. The wisest man ever is giving you this truth. Under the sun, life is absurd. Absurd. It's a vapor. It cannot be grasped. You will fail as you try. You are hugging smoke. This is the truth. Now, now this is not wisdom. This is truth. The wisdom would be, what are you going to do with it, right? What do you do with that truth? That's wisdom. Let's take just a few minutes. Not as long because we need to say his truth. What wisdom do you get out of this? I got three possibilities for you to respond to it. One, you could say, my wisdom. No, I'm not there yet. My wisdom, number one, is this is not true. Don't know who this guy is, but he sounds really like a downer, and I don't like downers. So I'm just going to say it's not true. You can go there, right? This Yahoo, he doesn't know. You know? I can affect the sun and the wind. I can build a legacy. Cause and effect tell me scientifically that I do things just right. I will have a life that matters. If I do my part, I can add meaning and value. I would say to you, welcome to the world. Right? The, the, the American dream. And, and, and we, the beloved of God, who, who stand on the word of God and accept its truth, will um, hold your hand, welcome you back, visit you in your distress, and, and, and we will be with you as you die. Because this, what we're talking about, is the truth. Rejecting it is is an option. I don't think it's wise. Okay, well, what about two? The second thing you could do, say, okay, okay, it's true. Dad, Dax, I'll, I'll take it. It's the Bible. Um, boy, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow, but I'll, I'll swallow it, and, and, and then I'll respond to it. And, and how should I respond to it? So the second option to respond to wisdom is do your duty. Well, what's that? Well, the wisest man in the world, he's going to land somewhere, and he's going to land here, right? Because the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God, but so therefore the only thing I can do is to do what God tells me to do, 
which is the whole duty of man. And therefore, because he, he, I know this world is crazy, man, but there is a God, so I'm going to act like there's a God. I'm going to do what he says. That's pretty wise, right? Everything is meaningless, absurd, a vapor. The best you can do is whatever you understand God's rules to be. The whole duty of man, fear the one who made all this, do what he says. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to try for meaning. It doesn't take away the absurdity of life. But he's the only one who sees you and remembers and judges. So live for him. This is way better than living for your legacy or living for improving mankind, living for the climate, or for family honor, or for personal wealth. That's all passing and absurd. But you know what's not absurd? God exists. I'll understand him. This is a meaningless life, but I will do the rules. Sweet. It's good advice, you know. And we're going to get there when he goes there. But but the difficulty that I have as a, as a wisdom answer for us, the gathered church of God, is that we just did the Sermon on the Mount. Ecclesiastes is, is, is hundreds, hundreds of years before God reveals himself by actually being born, having a mom, being born of a woman, becomes human, dies on the cross for our sin, tells us, tells us some amazing truths that, that this wise man simply didn't have. Right? The reality is the Sermon on the Mount is super clear. You don't keep his laws. You aren't who you should be there. there, there there's, there's, only, there's no try. There's only do. That's, that's this. By the works of the law, Romans 3, no human being will be justified in his sight. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. As you do your duty, the duty informs you you're not doing your duty. That's a trap. It's a... a it's an infinite circle. It's, it's a step towards wisdom, but it's not all the way. So option three, there's a third option, right? You can trust the son. And this morning, I call you as, as, as we close here. It, it is a response that doesn't deny the truth of what this man has said by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, that life is absurd to say you can trust the son. What does that mean? You can trust the one who came down from heaven for you. You can trust that he will give meaning and usefulness and take all the absurdity and swallow it up in himself. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He takes the real truth of absurdity and he changes it. So how does he do it, Dax? What does he do? I don't know. It still looks absurd to me. That's the truth of this man that didn't change because you came a Christian. You didn't suddenly become, well, you were futile, and now you're not futile. No, it still looks futile, but now the promise is that God's working out everything for good. It doesn't look like it, but it's true. Why is it true? By word of promise, because God promised it. That's why. You know, that there's, here's Romans 3 a little bit further on. For we hold that one is justified by trust apart from works of the law. You don't do your duty. You trust. Who do you trust? Jesus. What's he doing? He's done it all. Yeah, yeah but the cancer still happens. But people who are like cheats still get ahead. There's, there's injustice. There, the, the things don't look like they're, they're coming together. It looks like they're falling apart. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your eyes are deceiving you. God is in charge. And Jesus has promised, hasn't he? 
It's the promise for fools. We read that this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God takes the wisdom of the world and he destroys it. And, and he makes the foolish stand. To trust Christ, it's, it's kind of like I'm thinking if we're on a movie, take the red pill, is it the red pill or the blue pill? I don't know. The one where your eyes get opened. Where you can laugh at the absurdity. You can cry at the futility. He doesn't change the smoke, the vapor, the truth of your life under the sun. But you can shake your head at the craziness of the world. Isn't it crazy? This world is crazy. And trust, and trust. What I trust? I don't trust that he'll suddenly change the craziness of the world. I trust his promise. He has promised to set things right. He has promised he's making a place for me and for you. He has promised to guard you and me and keep you and me forever. He, he has told us that, that we are grass, right? Here today and gone tomorrow. So, so stop acting like you're deeply important and see that you're deeply loved. That's it. And you're bound for somewhere else. This race is not for you. That's the Matthew 11, right? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Because I'm running this race, and it doesn't seem to be working out. And I see all these things, and I think I'll engage my mind, and I'll fix them. And then it's never fixed. I will give you rest. Why? Because I carry the burden. Because I've done it for you. This is our Savior. How does he do it, Dax? How does he do it? Well, he does it this way. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. He became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, all that we are in Christ. Right? It's not in the world because the world is, is still going this way and, and inviting you in to think in this way of thinking that says what I do really matters to change and to make God like proud of me. proud of you is that you trust Jesus who actually says, I've done it all. C.S. Lewis put it this way as we close. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, I know the world does not satisfy. The only thing it can mean is that I was made for another world. And that world is life in Christ forever. That's the Bible. Escape from this absurdity, not twisting it into meaning, but finding life somewhere else in the resurrected life that Jesus Christ promises you. Okay, this is just our introduction. We're going to go through piece by piece as the preacher makes his case for why, why life is smoke and where our hope can actually be found. We need it in this day when people are trying so hard to convince us otherwise. Jesus is the answer. He is. And that's not just for Sunday school. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for the depth of life that you actually give. Forgive us, Lord, that we want to use you as an energy supplement. And Father, I pray that we might see you as life itself. Lord, take these lives that have no meaning. Take these lives, our lives, my life, and Lord, we entrust you. Lord, we have faith in you. Lord, we depend on you. Lord, you're our only hope for everything. Thank you that you're a sure and steady rock. 
and you will take us home. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.